welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today on the show, our guest is Arvind Sithamparapalai, Associate at Ironwood Wealth Management Group. Arvind's a friend of mine I've known for several years now, and I brought him in specifically to talk about Canada Pension Plan and some, I will say, rather unique and novel research he's done on the cost of Canada Pension Plan. And with that, here's my interview with Arvind. Arvind, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's an honor. Oh, well, not that big an honor. Tell us a little bit about what it is you do. Uh, so I'm an associate at Ironwood Wealth Management Group. We're you know, a financial planning and investment shop. We help our clients with the holistic wealth management. But my team has brought me in specifically as a little bit of a unique beast where they give me the freedom to go down any weird planning or tax rabbit holes that I find really interesting. So I do the full-scale planning. I've got three main areas that I work with, midwives, sales, and incorporated business owners. And I mean, the reason I'm here is because I've come up with some really weird or interesting ways of looking at CPP that I don't really think anyone has talked about before. Well, I can acknowledge that. So let's talk about Canada Pension Plan. So Canada Pension Plan, as everybody basically knows, is a government-sponsored pension plan that contributed, that gets contributed to every year off of your payroll. And of course, there's a amount that you're working towards getting. And a lot of the research that's been done to date has been around typically when to take it. I'll take it at 65, because you can take it as early as 65 or defer to 70. We can get into that later on uh, and talk about opinions there and what the math says, because it's not straightforward. But more so, we're, we're going to talk about the cost side of this. And in particular, we're talking about the cost side for business owners. Now, the big thing that has always been discussed with business owners is that business owners have to pay both sides of the contribution, the employer and employee portion doubling the cost. I'm going to be the first one to say that's BS, because at the end of the day, if I give you $20 and then we split a $40 bill, I did not you did not pay 50% of that. I paid that I was 100% the source of the money. Let's be frank. So frankly, the government just telling us how it's split between employee and employer is nothing but a mental accounting trick. At the end of the day, the money's always 100% the employers. And the thing that's unique about employers is that they, employers who business owners, is that they can opt out of CPP by nature of just switching from income to dividends. And a lot of times people will sell this as a tax savings. It's not a tax savings. This is a opting out of paying into a pension by failing to pay the contribution. It is not a tax. A tax is something, unlike a tax, the pension actually has a direct benefit that you gain from contributions, right? So it is, it is a retirement income decision. So here's why I brought our Aravind in. And it's specifically because the, the misnomer is always saying, well, look, here's what it's costing you in contributions, and here's what you get out of it. That is not the full story, is it? Aravind, care to fill us in on why? Yeah. And to be honest, it actually started with some of your content online, Jason, because when I first started, I was studying some of the corporate stuff that you put out there, especially integration. And so that concept of integration, meaning for the most part, and we'll talk about it, whether you pay yourself as a dividend or whether you pay yourself as a salary, the tax is more or less the same. Mm -hmm. And so I kept getting confused when people kept saying, well, you're saving CPP. But it wasn't until I started looking at my own taxes a little bit closer as a self-employed individual and I realized that CPP, yes, you pay it out, but there's certain tax impacts. And then all of a sudden it hit me that, hey, if we actually followed this line all the way through and said, hey, if I pay myself as a salary as a business owner, and if I pay myself as a dividend, what is the actual difference that I keep in hand? And most people 
either through short form or not, or not following that process, will default to, well, it's the total amount of CPP premiums. So that's the amount that you're going to save by paying yourself dividends. And then people will carry it a step further and say, hey, well, if we keep that ourselves, reinvest in the business or whatever the case is, we can quote unquote, earn more than CPP, which is where I started questioning, is that really the case? Especially after we look at the after-tax impact. Yep, excellent. So, I mean, we'll get into other reasons why you'd want to be a part of CPP, but let's talk about the cost side of it. And we'll get to the benefit side afterwards because the cost side of it is really your real helps here. So, all right. Employer, employee portion, both are both played for by the employer, yep. despite, even though it comes off the employee's portion. Talk to me about how each of those portions is treated from the corporate standpoint, as well as the personal standpoint. For sure. So I would say as far as CPP goes, and then there's, let's call it two bonus pieces that impact the tax planning. But as far as CPP goes, the employee portion is a piece tax credit. So the original base CPP before the new enhancement was rolled in qualifies for a tax credit. And so that tax credit is going to be worth whatever that base credit rate is in whichever province. So we're in Ontario, we're looking at 20.05% for that base CPP contribution of, I believe, so some numbers to this 2024, right? The co base contribution rate is 5.59% up to 3,867.50, right? So basically, what's going to happen is, is that that applies, the credit applies at the personal level. And it didn't cost me as an employee that amount. It's down by 20%, it's 20% less. Yes, but one one clarification there, Jason, even that 5.95% is actually a, a hybrid of 4.95% base and 1% enhancement. So that 4.95% is going to be credit, so 20% less, and then that last 1%. So of 3,800, let's call it $380 give or take, that's going to be a deduction. The remainder is going to be a tax credit at 20%. Got it. So bottom line is, give me some round numbers. What's this at the 3,800, whatever the total is, or last year's total, how much am I actually paying out of pocket at the maximum in general? Well, so if we're looking at, if we're looking at that, just that, and if we use last year as an example, actually, I'm going to go back and, and say, it depends. I know everyone's favorite during financial planning, because right. the tax credit, yeah, you can calculate the flat amount, and the tax credit actually caps out at about, I'll give you the number, 631 last year. So everyone who's filing their taxes over the next three to four months, they'll see a credit of 631. But the deduction, that 1% deduction is going to be more tax advantageous as you move higher through the income bands, because the deduction is always going to be more beneficial at a higher marginal tax rate. Okay. So basically that 1% contribution of my income up to the threshold is going to be so roughly out of the almost $4,000 that that is, we're talking about, let's call it 800 bucks, roughly ballpark, I'm probably wrong. But the point here is, is that it's either going to be save, it's all it's going to get a deduction, that's going to save either 20 cents on the dollar at the lowest bracket, or 53 cents on the dollar at the highest bracket. So we're talking up to $400 in savings on that. So now you're at the total savings of roughly a 1000 bucks, roughly best case scenario. Yeah, give or take, I would say it's about that. Yeah. So now the employee portion that was coming off their portion, really, it's not the 28, 6, 7, 50, worst case, best, worst case scenario. It is best case scenario, sorry, 38. It's, it's now 28, the best case scenario, right? So exactly. again, that's, 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 that's sizable. That's almost 25% of the overall cost of CPP from the employee standpoint. And it, it gets better. Want to talk about the employer portion? Let's talk about the employer portion. So not considered is that the employer portion is a pure... I mean, really, you got to look at the tax a little bit, but to simplify for all the business out there, business owners out there, you can consider the employer portion essentially a pre-tax deduction. It's yeah. a pre-tax deduction to the corporation. 
but it nets out to if you try to pay that out to yourself well you're going to pay tax on it if you were receiving that as a dividend and because it's a pre-tax deduction you pay no tax on it and so because of that again it can be as little as 20 percent, but it could be as much as 53.53 percent on the whole amount yep again so, I mean, so I mean, yes to get the so the spend to get that equivalent amount of money coming out for a benefit to this to the shareholder it's the equivalent of losing the half right so now yeah. we're talking about now we're talking about an actual net cost that's under that's being eight, 78 no whatever i can't do this i shouldn't do this on the fly about 1700 dollars <laughs> net benefit roughly or re, re, net reduction right i was so, gonna say actually last year i think it's closer to like 18 on the high end because 37 54 so we're talking about 18 and that employee portion was already deductible in the first place right so the overall cost right now we're actually talking about that entire deduction if you were trying to take that off for personal benefit would have been over would have been over three thousand dollars right on the total contribution, yeah, on the total contribution, which is basically just under eight. So you know, all said and done, we're looking at somewhere out of pocket for employers. Like, so employer top or upper end and lower end, what's the actual net out of pocket cost that they are looking to to basically incur or that they will incur on Canada Pension Plan? Ooh, that's a great question. And I actually have a little chart that I've pulled together. So give me one second, I'll pull that up, and I can. I mean, do you have any? Hypothetical examples between zero to three hundred k that you. Well, want I mean, to- here's the thing: the so the anyone below the yearly uh, maximal pensionable earnings, which is what almost seventy thousand now, uh, seventy three thousand now. No, sorry, a sixty eight thousand five hundred for the first ceiling, seventy three thousand for the second ceiling on the new enhancement. That is basically anyone there is going to be paying less than the maximum of the thirty eight uh, six fifty. So really, what we're talking about is anyone that's kind of the any kind of any kind of the maximum of Canada pension plans. So it's seventy three thousand and change to anyone at top bracket, which is over what is it this year two fifty something. Oh, I haven't looked up twenty twenty four yet. But I will I will clarify one thing, Jason. I think these numbers will be slightly different because I've done my twenty twenty three calculations and I'm going to sure. have to do an update for all the new tax brackets and how they all come into play for CPP for twenty twenty four. But if we look at 2023 as an example, if you hit that maximum pensionable earnings, you're looking at your net in-hand cost last year of CPP to be about 5,300. Okay, so 5,300 net versus the near 8,000 everybody thought it was. 5,331 exactly versus- uh, Uh, 7,735 is the amount for 2023, right? So pretty, pretty pretty reasonable reduction, quite honestly. You know, we're looking at a pretty substantial, close to a third. So that automatically changes the equation, right? Because oftentimes I've seen these entire break-even scenarios of like, oh, you know, you'll never make your money back on CPP as an employer because of this, right? So, but if if one third of the cost is actually taken out, right? And in addition to that, now the question becomes, what's the retirement tax bracket of the of the retired person, the retired business owner? That's going to be somewhere between low and high, right? Like that's really the net cal- calculus we should be doing is what is the actual after-tax implications of this? And that's where no one else has done that. Well, I would actually say that there's, there's a few more pieces to that. So that 53.31 at the YMPE, there's actually a couple more pieces that come into play. So the first is integration. And I think you, Jason, more than anyone is probably very intimately aware that integration isn't perfectly yeah. efficient. And so in most provinces, you're actually slightly worse off paying yourself a dividend from a tax standpoint versus paying yourself a salary. And let's, 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 monitor, let's, let's actually clarify how much that is. We're talking like single percentage points like we're talking like in some cases depending on the province it varies right but i think the best outcome i saw was two percent somewhere around there um is there's there's like one outlier below the small business deduction at about two percent but i would say most of them fluctuate between one and even 0.5 yeah. 
So yeah, we're not even talking about like, oh, this is a big material difference to going dividends to income that like you're gonna save a fortune. You know, we're talking about maybe you save a thousand bucks on on a six figure amount. But here's the case. That's usually saving it if you pay yourself a salary. And most people sure. are trying to avoid. Well, that's the irony, right? So the reduction, so the savings on paying salary versus dividends also gets added to the calculus. A hundred percent. And that's something that I think people often don't see or they don't take into consideration. And so if you look at even half a percent, but now what's half a percent on a flat dollar amount of say $200,000? Well, that's an extra thousand dollars that you've yeah. penalized yourself just to avoid CPP. Yeah. So that's where when you start adding these pieces together, it's like, oh, the credit, that's only $600. Oh, the 1% deduction, that's only $300. Oh, the, or sorry, the 1% is probably only on 3,000, it's only 30 bucks. But if you look at the employer deduction side, oh, all of a sudden, that's, uh, now we're looking at what, what have you, of 1,800. Now we're adding 1,000 for the dividend inefficiency. All of these are based on trying to avoid CPP, which is such a small amount to begin with. Yep. And, you know, so even if, you know, we're just looking at 73,200 in income, which is where CPP tops out, then you're still looking at at least $380 worst case, or the basically worth a, a worth of tax savings on that altogether, right? Which is now again, reducing it to basically well by, by well over a third of the total contribution amount. And that's basically it. Now that was, we talked about 5331. So I just want to give some 2023 numbers. Uh, 5331 at the YMPE. But, you know, if we peak out at 300,000 of pre-tax corporate profit, and now you as a business owner would have been sitting there saying, okay, should I pay myself salary or dividends? Do you know how much CPP actually ended up in hand costing you? $2,688. So it's actually even, even less than when you thought you were paying half of it yourself. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So well, let's talk about what you get in exchange for this, right? And this is what always drives me nuts. It's, and people are really terrible at, 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 at truly understanding the value of this, okay? Hold on, add, I gotta add one more thing. I feel like Oprah was like, wait, there's more. Wait, there's, there's more. There's one last piece. And then we can talk about everything that you get for it. Yeah. To most business owners, they're growing their business. A lot of times this decision is often in the middle of their life, right? They have kids, things are busy. They think they're gonna save a little bit of money. But because of the dividend top-up situation that comes into play or the gross up story. That's the official term. Mm -hmm. When you pay yourself a dividend, the amount you receive in hand is actually grossed up and then it's added to your tax return. Now the dividend tax credit, yes, offsets the actual tax paid, but there are certain government income-tested benefits like that's the right. candidate child benefit. And those are not calculated based on the net tax paid. Those are calculated based on your net income or your net household income. And so there is a small but meaningful difference between what that net income looks like as a salary versus what that net income looks like as a dividend. And so that dividend shows a little bit of a higher net income, which actually then reduces the Canada child benefit and other income tested benefits that you might qualify for. To coin your term, it's another phantom tax that people haven't considered. Oh, don't get me started on clawbacks and phase outs. Anyway, so the moral of the story is if you're in someone who's actually in the range where you would be able to keep your Canada pet child benefit and you know, again income range because at a certain point, no matter how many kids you have, you're not going to get anything. So, and you're you're above the threshold for the clawback. Then the reality is is that yeah, you're you're now that additional savings of that clawback again adds to the calculus of how little CPP costs you. So, I mean, that's specific to one group of people, but frankly, it's it's not immaterial. No, not at all. 
And I mean, these days, especially with many people deciding to be self-employed, if we think about, you know, any physicians or any uh, healthcare providers that have the ability to incorporate as well, not only is it business owners in the operator business owner sense of the word, but anyone who has the ability to incorporate needs to be considering this as a part of their overall financial planning. Yep. No, very true. So, all right, let's get to the benefits side. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about general retirement. We'll get back to retirement in a second, optimization of taking it out later. We're also going to talk about the other things people don't talk about. Okay. So first off, the benefit, right? People have a hard time wrapping their heads around the benefit of a government-backed index to inflation lifetime income. Can't remember where, saw a study years ago that basically showed that when people were given the choice between an annuity or a lump sum, people discounted the value of the annuity by 30%, meaning that it's really hard for us to do the math as human beings on what this actual lump sum is relative to a small amount over time. A smaller amount over time can actually far exceed the value of a lump sum. In fact, the average person was discounting and getting 30% less than they could have if they just taken an annuity. Okay? So... And I would also say that these break-even scenarios that people run are inherently flawed because what about things like inflation shocks, right? I mean, anyone who was on CPP in the last couple of years was grateful that their pension was, was basically indexed to inflation because that was not something they felt, right? So, so that is, that's great. That's, that's a benefit that's hard to get your head around. So first off, it is really, I would say, and, and everybody's always worried about, well, what happens if I die early? You got bigger problems, you're dead. Right, let's be let's be frank, right? Like you got bigger problems. If you're worried about leaving the biggest estate, then really insurance is the solution. But you know, not breathing is 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 your biggest problem when you're dead. But let's talk about the other stuff that happens before you die. What other benefits does Canada Pension Plan give you that frankly people are not factoring into the value of this thing? Well, I think the big one, to your point about even if you pass away prematurely but early and you have kids, I mean, one of those is gonna be the survivor benefit. I think that one is huge. And then there's a handful of small pieces that we often don't think about, like the disability portion that can potentially be paid out. And oftentimes, if you're an operator, say in a type of business where getting cheap disability insurance isn't always viable, CPP is a known cost and and something that's baked in that's going to protect you for at least a little bit. So I think those are two that are often very much overlooked when it comes to what kind of benefits do I get throughout my life. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I will say this much. Canada pension plan disability, it's like you won't qualify for it unless you're got something that's pretty much you're never going back to work. But it's still there, right? And like, so if we really want to look at what the value of Canada pension plan is and what you're paying for, I mean, part of that contribution is a premium towards a disability insurance policy that you're not doing the math on. And I don't know if this is where you intended to take it, but I think it's also important to remember that we get RSP room. And so that's like an ancillary benefit to paying yourself a salary and having this tax shelter as well that people often overlook. And I think all of these pieces have to be, which I know, Jason, you're a very big proponent about financial planning as a whole, and not just looking at one thing on its own. But I think you have to think about all of those pieces as well when it comes to how are you optimizing for your total wealth? Absolutely. So yeah, you have that. And I will also say the other thing that's overlooked is the orphans benefit. I mean, the reality is, is that you die early and you leave kids behind. Those kids are going to get a payout until a certain age. Right. In actuality, if you had just gone to work and if you if you had opted out of CPP entirely, your entire working life, and you had young children, and you pass away, well, congratulations, you saved that amount. Right. You saved that amount, but how fast is that amount going to be eaten up in comparison to the widows and orphans benefits? Well, and you know, I actually went to school. I did my MBA with somebody, and uh, he actually ended up receiving it because I believe when you're in post secondary, they will continue it for a period of time. Yeah. So. He was still at that last year age-wise where he was still receiving it. So I think it's important to note that that orphan's benefit can potentially carry on 
for a lot longer than we think. Yep. The other piece that I think people often don't think about is that you know all of these are benefits with that next net tax dollar amount that we paid into CPP. But if you're going to say, well, let me hold that money, let me grow it myself, you have to consider what the after-tax implications of growing it yourself are. And right. in today's lower expected return environment, it may not be as beneficial net of tax as we think it might be. Yep. No, he, um, I, I will say that that's, and let's just go back to this is also investment hubris, right? Like at the end of the day, maybe you could do better, maybe you could do worse at the end of the day, it, it, but there's no comparing a volatility to a, to a pension, right? This is, this is one of the things that drives me nuts about community values and pensions. It's like, oh yeah, well, I might be, I can maybe get a better return and get you more income, but it's not that you're going from, you know, you're not, you're not just turning the risk up a little bit. You're going from a literally a zero risk scenario into a risk scenario. And it, you can't look at that as a zero to one on a scale, right? You know, one to 10 may not be that, may, are, are actually closer than that zero and one are, right? The zero and one is a huge mile. And after that, it's, it's a big difference. So I think you have to contemplate that. So all this gets said and done, and I'm just going to go to the final retirement benefit, and I'm going to make a quick statement on this. We're not going to spend too much time dwelling on this. Maybe if you, I'm going to test you, see if you know the answer on this, just put you on the spot. So if you take it early, it's basically it reduces by how much per month? Oh, if you take it early, it reduces by 0.6% per month. Per month, right? Not, so if you, an early being your normal retirement age is 65, every month you take it early, it gets reduced by that amount up to a maximum of 36 as early as age 60. If you go to 70, what is the math? What's the calculus there? 0.7% per month. Yep. Up, up to, to 870. I want to wait and see whether you're going to cover it. And if not, I want to talk yeah. about the so, light bulb. Yes, 42%, which is what everybody thinks it is. However, it's not really 42%. Care to explain why? Well, it, to be honest, this didn't really hit me until we were going through this. And then I realized that what happens is when you take CPP, they calculate that bonus on top of what the actual CPP rate is that year. And so when you look at any of those break-even calculations, the thing that isn't considered is that whatever labor inflation and CPP inflation might have been. So now, not only do I get this bonus, but if I wait, let's call it the full five years, and I get that 42%, well, the base CPP that I would have received at 65 technically was growing with inflation every single year. So you have to factor in... And more than inflation, it's, it's growing by average industrial wage, which is historically roughly 1% more than inflation. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you're in a situation where your CPP grew, now you get to add the bonus on top of it. So it's not really 42%. In some cases, when we look at that 7% per year, but then you add in a 3% growth, well, it's closer to like a 10% growth on nominal terms. I understand that everyone looking, any other planners looking will say, well, hey, inflation's baked in, that's not really fair. But have you considered the investment returns on an after inflation adjusted basis? Or have you considered nominal returns? And if you're considering nominal on the investment side, then you have to consider nominal on the CPP side. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, it is a more complicated formula than most people think. I think to simply say, oh, the employer is paying this net amount of dollars and they're going to get X back and the math looks terrible is just so misguided. Because at the end of the day, two things. A, they aren't looking at the real cost. They aren't looking at the real cost. And until you do the, the math on real cost, you don't know what that looks like. And that's not to say that everybody should always take CPP in every case. I mean, I think there's, in most cases, I think it does make sense. In some rarer cases, I think it doesn't make sense. I mean, like, you know, the simple example is you got a terminal disease and you're 40, right? Like, and you're going to continue to work, but you're, but you're not going to continue to work for that much longer. But realistically, there's your argument, right? There's your argument. But that said, how many people fit into that, right? And there's this real, there's this real online, I mean, online forums, like 
this is the real real thing of like well i feel like i got cheated if if it's all if i if i contributed into it i got nothing out of it well you got bigger problems <laughs> i mean in a way i kind of look at it like insurance because it it, is. It's, it's a peace of mind right like once i get to 60 65 and i'll, I'll speak for myself here maybe everybody's a little different and but there's a there's a nice feeling of saying hey i've got this base that's going to cover a lot of the needed expenses in my life and with yeah. so few years left at that point and likely not everyone gets to that point super healthy or they've seen their friends or family start to get sick and pass away you know do you really want to spend all of your time worrying if 100% of your assets are concentrated in the same types of savings so to speak yeah. and as planners we talk about diversification you know across a variety of different spectrums and i think this is just yeah. another example of tax and income diversification as well. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is I'll say a couple of different things. You know, we, we kind of talked about earlier, but the deferral, like it's up to 42%. When you look at the average industrial rate historically, that number actually ends up being closer to 50%, right? So someone who would be entitled to CPP maximum benefit of 13, 640, 60 this year, by deferring, that number would actually be in, today, in today's dollars, $2,000, you know, $24,000 a year for an individual and 40, $48,000 for a couple pays for a lot of living expenses in retirement, quite honestly, right? And, and to have that guaranteed floor, never mind OAS on top of that, but to have that guaranteed floor taking care of expenses, honestly, like I'll say a lot of people are worried about not having enough to retire. Those people typically don't do the math on OAS and CPP. And when we do, it's usually a lot better than it looks. But, but beyond that, everybody thinks they're never, for whatever reason, I've never met anybody who thinks they're going to live to 100. They all seem to think that they're going to be the ones who die early. Sorry, but statistically, you get to 70, the odds are, you know, life, what people don't get is life expectancy is not a set age. It's a, it's a moving target. The older you get, the more likely you are to live beyond it. So it might be 84 for people born today. But if you're at 70 already, odds are you're, you're going to be touching into the 90s pretty close to it. Yeah. It's that's a long time to yep. Any other questions for me, Jason? No, I think that's it. So if people want to look into your research, I mean, I think you published most of this on LinkedIn of all places, but anywhere else they can find it. <laughs> You know, they can reach out to me through our website, but I would say, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, midwives tend to hang out on Instagram. So if any midwives happen to listen to this, they can find me there. But I would say that's where I'm probably the most active at this point in time. Yep. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. So that was today's interview with Ervin. Hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.